This morning we want to jump back to 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 11 and deal with a, a weighty topic. But you know, it hasn't been great since you became a Christian. There have been no more problems. You know, no surprises in life. Everything has just gone exactly like you've wanted it to go. Well, that might be part of the problem, how I wanted it to go. That might be part of the issue. But no, that, that's, that's simply not true. You guys laugh as soon as I say that. You're, okay, he's joking around. No one thought I was serious because we know that life is not without troubles. Even when we accept Christ, we are still living in a Genesis 3 fallen world. We are still impacted by sin. Our bodies are still decaying. There, there are things that are happening beyond our control. And as we, we trust God, and as we believe in God, we, we start to ask a lot of questions. Well, why is this happening to me? How can I get through this? Sometimes we're in difficult situations that we're asking, when will this end? And this morning we want to talk about, okay, how do we start to deal with these things? How do we approach these things from a Godward perspective rather than a self-centered perspective? Seeing what he wants to do in the situation and how he wants to bring good out of what Satan intends for evil in our lives. I want to start by reading part of a letter by Wayne Grudem. And some of you know who Wayne Grudem is. He's a theologian and a a uh, seminary professor, and he wrote a book. He's written a number of books. One in particular that's used in, in many, many Bible colleges is called Systematic Theology. Uh, a man of God that, that has done so much for the kingdom. And last month he wrote a letter. He said, friends, I'm writing to let you know that on Wednesday I saw my family doctor with some puzzling symptoms. And he suspected Parkinson's disease. He referred me to a neurologist, and on Friday, December 18th, she confirmed that I definitely have Parkinson's disease. He goes on to describe it. I'm just reading some excerpts. Then he says, The symptoms that I have now include a diminishing of fine motor control so that my handwriting is less legible and more crowded together. And in typing, I sometimes hit a key twice or not at all. And my mouse control is not as precise with the computer. It's very difficult for an author. It's also harder to button my shirts, and I sometimes feel a tiny tremor when I reach for things. I can still do all these things, but they're all a bit slower and take a lot more concentration. In addition, I seem to be moving my arms and legs more slowly in ordinary daily activities. And Margaret, who's his wife, says that sometimes my facial expression seems a bit fallen, and I notice that it's harder to smile. In recent photos, my smile has not seemed so genuine or natural, but more forced. How are we doing? Margaret has been a wonderful help and encouragement, and she keeps reminding me that we're in this together. She is an amazing, most wonderful wife. We both feel a deep peace from the Lord about this. King David said to the Lord, My times are in your hand, and I truly feel that way. Parkinson's usually does not shorten a person's life expectancy very much, but in any case, I'm happy to live as long as the Lord wills that I live and to keep on being productive for as long as he enables me to do so. Psalm 139 says, In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none of them. But I would like, if God allows, to finish my current writing projects. He lists what those projects are. Then he says, After that, I was sort of wondering what I was going to do anyway. The end of the letter, he says, Other verses that have become more meaningful in the last two days. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body, by the power that enables him even 
to subject all things to himself. My hope of a perfect Christ-like resurrection body is even stronger now, he says. 2 Corinthians 4.16, so we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. And he writes, Parkinson's is a light momentary affliction in the light of eternity. He ends, if you think of it, I would appreciate your prayers for the project I mentioned above and for continuing good medical care. And also, if the Lord wills for partial or full healing, whether through medicine or through his miraculous intervention, I am at peace. Wayne Grudel. And I wanted to start with that because it's a contemporary example. This, this is just last month, four weeks ago. It, it's a contemporary example of exactly what we're going to read Paul do in the text this morning. What a great example of taking a difficult situation, an incredible surprise and gotcha that life throws at him, and saying, I am at peace. I am going to trust God. I am going to use this for the glory of God. And in his courage, make that a very public thing just two days after he finds out. We want to jump into the text today, and that's a great example for us. And today we want to learn from Paul's example How do we deal with suffering? How do we deal with it well? How do we point back to God? So turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible with you, under one of the seats in front of you will be a black Bible or maybe a paperback Bible. Um, We'd love for you to, to follow along. It's good to open God's Word together. If you don't have one at home, please take that home as our gift to you so you have God's Word. But 2 Corinthians chapter 1. And remember, Paul is writing a church at Corinth after there's been some difficulty between them. He's said some hard things. They have have broken the relationship at times. And now there's restoration and, and reconciliation. And we see that Paul, in that forgiveness, begins by opening his heart to them. The wounded opens his heart. And it's a wonderful testimony. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, starting at verse 3. Let me just read a couple of verses. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. And we'll go on and read more and study the whole passage. But I wanted to to start there and especially focusing on verse 3. And we talked about this verse through our Names of God series. And Pastor Andrew in September talked about this verse. But the first thing that we see Paul doing here when thinking about affliction, when thinking about trials, is he focuses on God's character. He focuses on God's character and he praises him for his help even before he sees it. Focuses on, focus on God's character and praise Him for His help. As we think through our, our theme for the year of love God, love others, this is the love God part. And in the middle of difficulties, Paul starts by thinking, who is God? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And even right there, we see several of the names. And Lord, meaning that He is in charge of all things. And isn't that comforting when we're going through it? When we're going through the difficult times. Jesus Christ, Christ being the Messiah, the one that will bring salvation. The one that will bring us eternal life away from all the troubles. And he'll deal with all of that. 
But then we see the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. I want to briefly review some of the things that that Pastor Andrew talked about. But the Father of mercies, that word for mercy there is the idea of compassion or understanding. And it's combined with the idea of father. And and the picture is a father that comes along and, and with his kids says, you know, I understand what you're going through. And that's really hard. I get it. Puts his arm around him, says, let's walk together. That's the picture we have here of the Father of mercies. The God of all comfort. The, the idea of comfort is, is one of actively helping us through a situation. It's not saying, I'm going to remove all trouble so you just have a great comfortable life. It's saying, I will walk with you. It's interesting, the word comes from parakaleo, which we've seen with the Holy Spirit, paraclete. And, and this word is used throughout the New Testament for comfort, for encouragement, or exhort. And it's always used with the sense of coming alongside and helping someone through it. We have a, a football game, the Super Bowl next week that, that Phil mentioned. And, and we've all watched football. Well, most of you have watched football. But we've seen an injured player, right? And at some point, if they've injured something in their legs, a couple of other players or trainers, they come and each get on each side of them. And he puts his arms around them, right? And he helps, they, they help him walk off the field. That is a picture of comfort here. Of saying, I will walk with you and I will help you through it. Except if, if we were a little more descriptive of it, instead of walking him off the field, they would walk the player back to his position and help him through the next play to score the winning touchdown. That's what God is saying when he says, the God of all comfort. Interesting, it's, it's, this definition is used for this word about 31 times in the, the New Testament. Ten of them are in this paragraph today. That usually means it's a theme, something we want to notice. But this says, God is the God who comes alongside and helps. He encourages, he exhorts, he comforts, he gives us the strength to face trouble, to stand up. One author said, it means to strengthen much. And I just kept thinking Yoda, but to strengthen much was the word that he used. In the Old Testament, when, this, the, when the Old Testament was translated into Greek with the Septuagint, the, this word was usually used to represent God's deliverance, that he helps them through a difficult situation. What a great way to start. When we say, how do we deal with the, the, the things in life that we just don't know how to deal with? The first thing Paul says is remember who God is. Focus on his character. A couple of other words there to notice. It says, Blessed be God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of, you see that word? All comfort. And it's a reminder that God can comfort in any situation. He is big enough to take anything we deal with. No matter what you're sitting there this morning struggling with, no matter what curveballs even this last week have been thrown at you, God is the God of all comfort. Nothing we go through is out of His ability to to help us through. What a great place to start. See, all all of these things, when we focus on who God is, we're, we're understanding God better. And trials often help us come to a better understanding of God because we see Him work. 
when I, when I look back at my life and I look back at the things, the times where I saw God in amazing new ways, it was always the most difficult times. Always. I can remember sitting in a hospital with my wife and, and we're dealing with just something so, so terrible that we'd never thought we'd have to deal with. And I remember finally understanding what it means for God to be the God of all comfort and seeing him in a whole new way. I wouldn't trade that for anything. Trials help us come to a better understanding of God. And when we're in the middle of it, we need to be looking for that. How is God working? What can I learn about God? Who is God? One other word that I, I skipped in that verse, and I wanted to save it for the end of this point. Did you catch the first word? Blessed. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that is so key to what Paul is doing here because he's, he's using a, a sequence of words here that the Jews would have understand as an expression of praise, an expression of worship. It was a blessing to God, a prayer of thanksgiving. One Jewish prayer said, Blessed art thou, O Lord, our God, and God of our fathers, God of Abraham, God of Isaac, and God of Jacob. And Paul here is taking a normal blessing of praise and saying, in the middle of it, in the middle of the darkest nights of the soul, we come to God and we praise. That's hard. That's hard. Think of some of the things you've been through. Do you feel like praising God at that point in time? No. What, what do you feel like doing? You, you feel like, you know, curse God and die as Job's wife told him. And Paul says, you want to deal with trials well? You want to see good come out of them? Start by praising God. Who he is. How he's going to work. Again, in the Old Testament, whenever they said, blessed be God, it was so often used in, in, in the, the context of deliverance through trials, of his work through trials. And, and Paul writing this, he knew difficulties. He's going to mention it in here in a minute, but in chapter 11 of, of 2 Corinthians, let me just read some of the things he went through, just in case we think, well, Paul never really went through it. He's, he's just a lightweight and saying, oh yeah, praise God. And sometimes when people tell us to praise God and we're in the middle of it, our thought is, you don't understand. You have no clue how hard it is. So Paul's writing this and, and he writes a little later, are they servants of Christ? Am I a better one? I am talking like a madman with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from the Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers. In toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. You can't make this up. Paul knew what he was talking about. Anyone here have a list like that? And Paul says, Blessed be the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. Man, that gives me chills. Because if he was able to start that way, with all that he went through, 
how much more should we? And so the first point there is focus on God's character and praise Him for His help. Can we praise God in sincerity and on a positive note even when we just don't feel any hope? And one of the the ways that we do that is to, to think that truth is greater than emotion. In your notes, I have truth and a greater than symbol. That, that's what that is for those that don't remember high school math. Truth is greater than emotions. Because our, our emotions, our heart says, I don't want to praise God. I'd sort of like to wallow and I'd sort of like to get some attention and I'd like this to end. But truth says God is still God. He is still sovereign. He is still on the throne. And I'm going to choose to praise Him whether or not I feel like it. When every bone in our body wants to focus on the hurt, wants to think of it as this big, we need to praise God because He is this big. We are not alone, even if we feel alone. It is not hopeless, even if we feel it's hopeless. And so as we praise God, we are speaking truth into our lives. We are taking captive every thought. This is one of the ways that we keep from becoming mopey Christians. There is just no reason to be mopey Christians. Because as we mope and as we whine and as we complain, we are questioning whether God really has this. I'm amazed as I visit people in the hospital and, and through difficult times, how many times people just, just pour out praise and pour out ministry and pour out thanksgiving to God in some of the darkest situations. I, I can remember visiting Dottie Sharp just before God took her home. And I thought I was going to cheer her up. And she's like, it's not a problem. God is still God. Why don't, why don't we pray? <laughs> and we had the most precious time of prayer with Bud and Dottie and I and there was not any sense of moping around with that lady. But rather, let's praise God because He is the God of all mercies and the God of all comfort. Now that might be hard to hear if you're in the middle of it today. Great place to start would be the Psalms. Just start reading Psalms. Praying through them. Seeing the heart of the psalmist and always turning back to the character of God. See, then we are changing our outlook. We are focusing on God rather than self. And and in every part of this passage today, Paul's bringing us back to, it's not about me. My trials aren't about me. My sufferings aren't about me. It's about how can God receive glory. This verse also reminds us that the only true and lasting comfort comes from God. No one else can help you get through everything. No one else, not even your spouse, not even your pastor, no one else can help you get through everything. Jesus Christ is the only help that truly lasts and solves or that that, that strengthens us through all things. That's hard. We expect things of our spouses. We expect things of people around us. And when we put that pressure on them to meet all of our needs and to, to help us in every way, We're missing the point 
Now, should we help each other? Absolutely. But we help each other by pointing back to who God is, his strength, that he's the one walking us back into the play to score the touchdown. The first point that Paul gets us to think about is to focus on God's character, praise him for his help. And that's hard. But then Paul goes on in verses 4 through 7. Who comforts us in all our affliction. There's that word all again. So that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's suffering, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. Second thing we see in this passage from Paul's example and are exhorted to do, we need to find ways to use how God has helped us to help others. We need to find ways to use how God has helped or is helping us to help others. This is the love others part of it. Love your neighbor as yourself. See, there's a purpose to our trials. Your trials are never random. They are never an accident. God doesn't wake up tomorrow and say, oh man, I didn't know their loved one would pass away. He has a purpose for each of those things that he allows. And that purpose here is to comfort others. To, to, to be conduits of God's comfort. And so as God strengthens us and as He comforts us and, and helps us through a situation, that then should overflow to where we can help other people. You've seen this work, right? There, there's, there's nothing like someone that's been through a similar thing as you coming alongside and encouraging and exhorting and praying with you. There are, there are things in our past that I have no idea why God let us go through. And at times was pretty angry and pretty frustrated. And as I look back now, those are the things that have allowed us to, to come alongside couples that are struggling with different things, that, that have allowed us to come alongside issues of forgiveness and, and issues of some business issues. God won't waste your troubles. We do. But he won't. Find ways to use how God has helped you to help others. Verse 4 there says, Who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction. Now, you've got to go back to verse 1 because the, the assumption here is God's helping us. If we're not allowing God to help us, if we're not praising him and looking at his character, if we're not seeing how he's strengthening us through the most difficult times, we've got nothing to give to anyone else. It's an empty jar. But as God pours his comfort on us and as we trust him, as we see him work in ways that we we never imagined through pain that we never imagined, then that overflows to everyone around us. We've got to let God work. We've got to see him work who comforts us in all our affliction. The word for affliction is translated sometimes troubles, pressures, distresses. It's a, it's a broad word. 
It can mean both external stresses, things that happen to us that we, we have no part of. It can also be inner struggles, interpersonal relationships, things that, that um, we're, we're part of and have to do with our emotional state of things. Could be circumstantial, loss of job, health issues, loss of a loved one. So many things. I, I just don't think I have to describe what an affliction is here. Because I would bet every one of us has been touched by it. And every one of us has gone through the pain of that. But God is willing to help us through that. With the purpose of helping others. Even in the middle of our own troubles, we are to comfort others. We're to be conduits of God's grace. Conduits of His comfort. So as He comforts us, we share that with as many people as we can. This helps prevent a victim mentality. We like being the victim. We go through things and we want to talk about that and we want people to to notice that and feel sorry for us because there's a certain element of, okay, I'm the focus of attention here. This is really cool. Even in the middle of some difficult things. But God wants to be the focus of attention. You know, some of the ways I've seen people do this and, and the way that we do it is when we're in the middle of difficult times, ask the question, what opportunities is this going to open up for me? What ways can I use this? I, I have seen people in hospitals say, you know what, I'm stuck here. It's awful. It stinks. And I'm going to make sure every nurse knows about Jesus. I'm going to make sure every person that visits knows that God has taken care of me. That's using a struggle to comfort others. Sometimes it means some things in our past that we don't want to talk about, that we've hidden, that, that we hear someone else in the church is struggling with, and it takes an act of courage to say, you know what, I went through that too. It may mean if, if we have a, a young mom that's struggling with, with the loss of a child or a loss of, of a pregnancy, that maybe someone else comes alongside that has never talked about it and says, you know what, I went through that too. And God was enough. And He strengthened me. So we've got, when we're going through it, we've got to think, how does God want to use this to help others? Rather than how can I get out of this? Verse 5 really, really gives us how do we do this. Because what I'm, what I'm telling you doesn't make sense. How do we have the strength to do it when we're the ones hurting? And verse 5 says, For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. And he's bringing us back to, and there's a lot of discussion of, okay, how do we share in Christ's sufferings? And that could mean that, that we suffer because we're following Christ, but it, it looks more like it's speaking of Christ's work on the cross and that he took our place. He was a substitute for us. He was my stand-in on the cross. I should have been there. He was my stand-in as he was being beaten, as he was being tortured. He was being killed. And that should have been me. And so in that sense, I share with him. And he's my representative. But that's not where the story ended. Because three days later, he rose from the dead and proved that he conquered death and that he had all life and had all strength to help. And so I share abundantly in that too. And so what Paul is saying, how are you able to comfort others when you're going through it? How are you able to encourage others? Because Jesus did so much more for you. Jesus 
just pours and dumps his comfort on you because of his work on the cross. And so if that's your focus, you'll be able to minister to others, no problem. If our focus is me, that's going to be harder. 1 Peter 4.13 says, But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. And so because Christ died for us, suffered in our place, so we could have salvation, so we could have comfort, how can we not pass that on to others? C.S. Lewis wrote in The Problem of Pain, The Son of God suffered under death, not that men might not suffer, but that their sufferings might be like His. He goes on to describe that we associate with His sufferings and so we can respond with His comfort, with His love, with His grace. We do this by coming along people and and. There's all different ways to comfort people. And, and this is just sort of on the practical side. We could come, come to someone and say, you know what? I understand exactly what you're, what you're feeling. But that's not really that effective, right? Because if you're going through it, do, do you ever feel like someone else really understands? No, because you're in the middle of it. How much better is it to, to come alongside someone and say, you know what? I have experienced so much comfort from God through something like that. I know that he's going to comfort you. I know that he's going to lift you up. I know that he's going to encourage you because he's done that for me. And now the focus is so different. See a couple of other verses there. Verse 6, If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. And this is really fascinating because it looks as if some people at Corinth, there was still a faction that was saying, Paul's not a real apostle. He's, he's not. And, and one of the things they were saying is because he's suffering. And, and they were buying into this whole health and wealth heresy that we hear preachers talk that if you love God, you shouldn't have any trials. Your problems are over. And Paul here is, is addressing that. It says, if we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. Think of that list from Paul. Those things happened because he was a missionary. Those things happened so he could bring the gospel to Corinth. How hard would that be for, for some at Corinth to say, oh, you're not really an apostle because you went through these things, when he knows he went through those things to bring salvation to Corinth. He did it for them, and they're throwing it in his face. But he doesn't stop. And he, he, he gently lets them know that. But he says, if we are afflicted, it's for your comfort and salvation. It's not about me. It's about how I can love God and love others. If we are comforted, it's for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Paul challenges them. You're going to go through things too. It's not just me. Patiently endure. Bear up under them. See what God wants to do. Don't get angry at God. Don't run from the situation. Patiently look at Him for strength. I was going to ask at the beginning how many of you have gone through difficult times. And I would bet almost every hand would go up. But let me ask this. How many of you can look back at a difficult time 
and see how God was helping you through that. Hold your hands up high for a minute. This is not something to be shy of. Look at that. You can put them down. That is a testimony to God's faithfulness. That's a testimony to patiently enduring because God will help us through. There's hope. There's hope in suffering. And Paul says that in 7. Our hope for you is unshaken. For we know that as you share in our sufferings, as you partner, as you, as you, you help us through, you will also share in our comfort. Here, here's sort of the bottom line of this. When we go through things, we want to be self-centered, and, and sometimes we want to deal with it alone, but what Paul is describing here is such a beautiful picture of community and says, I am going to be willing to go through this with you so that you can see how God works, so that you can be encouraged. I'm willing to open up my life. And and this is hard. I'm a private person. I hate when my stuff is public. I hate when what I'm going through is public. But I know that God wants us to deal with this together. And I know my tendency is to be private, to not tell anyone. But I'm working on that. I'm working at sharing prayer requests at community groups, sharing how things are going. Because the picture here is of coming together, sharing in sufferings so we can share in the celebration of what God does. So He can get the glory. And when I'm not willing to share that, I'm actually being pretty selfish and saying this is just about me and God helping me and I'm not becoming a conduit that God can use that to help others. It's hard. There are times that we come alongside couples and we talk about some of our struggles and some of the things with infertility and children. I've got to tell you, that still hurts. I don't come to those discussions and say, oh, everything's fine now. It still is a pain. But we've got to be willing to open up because God is still strengthening through that. And every one of us live in this fallen world and have to deal with that pain. And when we start to see a purpose and how are we going to help others? How are we going to share our lives with others? How are we going to come alongside? That's the hardest thing to do in the world when you're suffering to say, you know what, I'm not going to worry about myself. I'm going to go encourage someone else. But is this one of the ways that healing happens and that God helps us? God has a purpose for your trials. Don't don't miss it. One other thing I want to mention is, as we talk about this and suffering and Paul's saying, no, he's suffering for them. And he, he assumes suffering is part of the Christian life. And, and we see that in, in other passages, 1 Peter 4.12, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But, but I, I want to I give some balance to this. Just because we shouldn't be surprised that it happens doesn't mean we're not walking with God if we're not in trial. Make sense? 
So some of you might be feeling really guilty. I haven't been through a lot this last year. I must not really be walking with God. That's not what Paul's saying. It's not what God's word teaches. But it also says that when we do encounter suffering, that also means we're not out of God's will. But he wants to use it. Let's jump to the last. We have three more points in your notes that I want to give you that that come pretty quickly in the next verses. Verses 8 and 9. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. He's opening his heart here. He's using himself as an example. We don't know what those afflictions in Asia are. There's all kinds of debate. Maybe it was something at Ephesus. Maybe it was um, an illness. I think it was that list I read out of 2 Corinthians 11. I, that's enough to call it be, be afflicted. I don't want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. This is gut-wrenching honesty. Paul's saying, we were hurting. We were hurting bad. Verse 9, Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. And he's sharing depression here. He's sharing discouragement. But he doesn't stop there. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. And that is such a profound verse. The third point there is difficulties chip away self and help us rely on God. Difficulties chip away self and help us rely on God. Let me ask you a question. Are you willing to go through anything God might allow if it means you'll be more Christ-like? Just think about that. Don't answer. Are you willing to go through anything, any hardship, any difficulty, if that's what God needs to use to make you more Christ-like and dependent on Him? And that's a hard question to answer. Yeah, Pastor Ron, bring on the troubles. But, But I word it that way so we begin to realize what God might be doing in difficult situations. Paul was utterly burdened beyond our strength. Those were words used of a ship about to sink under a burden and taking on water. Or a pack animal that was stumbling and could no longer walk because his, his pack was too heavy. Do you ever feel like that? Yeah. And Paul says, God let us go through that so we'd learn to rely on him rather than self. Village, we are self-centered people. It's the root of just about every sin. And so God will do anything to prune that away from us and allow anything. And to bear up under trials, we've got to see what he's doing. See, difficulties expose the junk in our lives. They expose the junk in our lives. When things are good, A lot of our sin and a lot of our junk isn't exposed. When things are bad, character is revealed. How I respond, how whether or not I'm willing to praise God, whether I become self-centered, whether I, 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 I just shrink in and pity myself or whether I'm going to let God work. Difficulties expose that. I, I, I recently pruned our, our avocado tree and it's just out of control. And the the grass had all grown up around it. So I didn't even know there was these sucker branches at the bottom growing up out of the tree. 
So we finally cut that grass and I'm like, oh, we have a problem. And I was able to trim those off. But that's sort of what trials do for us. They, they cut away the, the grass, all the things that are covering the junk in our hearts. We don't naturally rely on God. And it takes something difficult to teach us that lesson. One author wrote, The painful experiences of life are not random, pointless happenings, but divinely intended opportunities for growth. So Paul here says in verse 9, Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God. And then he gives some some, um, qualifications why we should rely on God. Who raises the dead? You and I don't do that. He does, and he comes back to the resurrection as the source of our comfort. God is reproducing his character in us, and he often does that through trials. Oswald Chambers wrote, and this is in your notes, if you are going to be used by God, he will take you through a multitude of experiences that are not meant for you at all. They are meant to make you useful in his hands. We always talk about we want God to work at village. Are we willing to let him prune us into people that he can use? It's hard. Two more verses. Verse 10. He delivered us from such a deadly peril and he will deliver and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. And point number four there is rehearse God's past help. It gives assurance of his continued help. And Paul is saying, God's delivered us before. We've been through all kinds of things. We've seen God work. Almost all of you raised your hand and said, I have seen God work in past difficulties. Cling to that. Hold to that. That's what gives us hope that he will continue to do that, that he will do that again, ultimately in heaven. And and again, you've heard me describe hope before, but this isn't the hope of, I wish I'd get a new car for Christmas. This is the hope of saying, I know that this is going to happen. I have hope that I will be in heaven with Jesus because I know I will be. And so it's a confident expectation, not a far-fetched wish. God is faithful. He has been in the past and he will be in the future. This is why we need to tell our stories to each other. We need to be rehearsing how God is faithful. And finally, in verse 11, point number five, get others praying so they will see God work. Paul circles around to bringing others into it. And he says, you also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. You guys get what he's saying there? You also must help us by prayer. Pray for us. We're going through a tough time. Pray for us so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. And and the point of having them pray isn't that he could get out of the situation or that it would be removed. It wasn't about him. It was so they could experience God's answer and the joy of that. The the many giving thanks at the end, the the picture there, the, the wording is of many heads lifted up. And it's this idea of many people praising God. We need to share in prayer for each other. We need to share then the joy of God's answer. 
Don't be silent about needs. Don't be silent about God's answers to those needs. This is amazing to me that Paul is opening himself up like this to a group that has hurt him so deeply. But he knows that God is a God of restoration and reconciliation. And he's really asking for prayer. And he's really sharing his heart. All five of these things, though, point us in difficult times back to who God is. We start with praising God for his character. How do we help each other? What is God doing to make me more Christ-like, to make me rely on him? How is, is God showing faithfulness in the past and now I can rest assured of that in the future? How can I get others involved praying so they will see God work and they will give thanks? All of that means it's not about me. My trials aren't about me. It's about him. It's about his story and how I can reflect him. That's a whole different way to view trials. I want to read a quote from a Puritan pastor, John Owen. Did you ever run to a tree for shelter in a storm and find fruit that you did not expect? Did you never go to God for safeguard in these times, driven by outward storms, and there find unexpected fruit, the peaceable fruit of righteousness that made you say, happy tempest, which cast me into such a harbor. Happy tempest, which cast me into such a harbor. Lord God, our Father, you are the God of all comfort, the Father of of mercies, the God of all comfort. And Lord, we praise you for that. Even when we don't see how something's going to work out, even when we don't know what you're doing, we praise you for that and we offer ourselves as tools to use those trials for your glory, to comfort each other, to point each other back to you. Lord God, I pray for those that are are just going through stuff in life this morning, that they would know that you are the God of all comfort that they would feel your arms around them, helping them face it and go through it. That we would not run from it. We would not make it about us, but how you want to work, God. We praise you and give you all glory. In Jesus' name, amen.